0: Hello and welcome back to Rumor Control, Alien Minutes, coverage of Alien 3. I'm John Engel. And I'm Mitch Bryan. All right, Mitch, we're back for sequence number
1: what? Oh, I think we'll call it sequence number five, maybe? Sequence five. But I think it starts with, and again, this gets messy, but the way I've clocked it is it sort of starts with um, three guys in a corridor looking at candles. Uh, and it ends with Ripley having a very close encounter with the alien. And if you look at that sequence in terms of the extended version, it really ends with uh, Golic saying, Magnificent. Magnificent. So this is where we really start to see the divergence between the theatrical and the extended cut in terms of this major subplot concerning Golic which is arguably the most interesting Subplot in the movie. Yeah. I think it definitely is. And
0: I think, uh, you know, I've made that point pretty clear that to me that's the biggest
1: problem with the theatrical cut is that he's not in it, really. So we've got this sequence, though, of these guys ex- um, looking for the alien, and uh, they're supposed to go in and light candles, right? This is – this. there was a setup to to this earlier uh, mm-hmm. in the previous sequence in, in the extended version – uh, so it's the two guys that don't want Gallica going with them, and poor old Gallica's going with him. Well, he's happy, though, because he just found a bunch of cigarettes. That's right. This is this is called uh, Lots of Cigarettes and No Flashlights Right is this sequence. So they're using sparkler torches to illuminate their way while they're lighting candles as they go along to try and figure this thing out. But there's an issue with wind in this scene, isn't there?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, that ends up being the wrinkle in there. Search here. You know that everything's fairly normal up to the point where they start seeing a candle flickering in the wind. Now, what? the The question they're asking is, what work of the wind be coming from? It's also the question I'm asking. What What exactly are we? Is being suggested by the wind here? Besides, I understand that it's the alien is present, but aliens don't generate wind.
1: Micro changes in air density.
0: <laughs> is it? Is it that the alien burned its way through a hole in the?
1: corridor somewhere and the wind's coming through that hole is that what we're i guess so that's what okay. i that's how i see it yeah. I guess that's good enough so they're investigating i guess to figure that out i wish it was from gallic's point of view you yeah. know i wish it was more about these guys are i'm going along with these guys versus we got to take that guy along with us and yeah. there's a slight difference because the guys who are complaining about him seem to be the lead characters in this scene the reality though even no matter what the point of view is, I have a lot of trouble caring about anybody in this scene. So even though, yeah, the alien's going to pop out and it's going to get somebody, I'm not invested in these guys. It ain't the same as Harry Dean Stanton looking for the cat, you know?
0: I really do think, though, that you would be more invested if it was from Gallic's point of view. I think Gallic as a character is set up, A, simple, we know his name. We had to look up these two guys' name right on IMDb. Uh, he has a setup, you know, these guys complain about him in the earlier mess hall scene, but that's all from, from Gallic's point of view. We feel for Gallic in that scene. It's like a guy being insulted right to his face. Um, we also in that scene get his reaction to Ripley entering. Uh, we see he even does a, crosses himself right. in order to indicate that he may be pretty religious, um, cause his zealot status is what really defines him as a character in the director's cut, right? So the camera is saying, pay attention to this guy. Pay attention to this guy, pay attention to this guy. We said his name three times. Now the scene, sh- this scene should be from his point of view. You're right. He he could feel a little endangered by these two guys that who knows what they're going to do. They're being forced to work with this guy. Now they're in the middle of nowhere. Oh, I guess another accident. What if one of them said, oh, accidents could happen in here. And there's actually a reason to think that he could
1: be in danger for well, these they two guys ditched that him. hate him. They ditched him. And, and so if you were playing it from his point of view, it seems like that's that would be a lot more interesting. I don't yeah. know,
0: but then the the capper on the scene on on the scene is his point of view. We should
1: talk about the first appearance of the alien in this scene. Mm-hmm. It seems huge. It does look big. So. It seems it's back to human size, where it can really do some serious damage. Right.
0: Right. So the questions for, of you know its first arrival at the end of Act One, uh, whether the size you know. In which version does is the size indicated more accurately? Uh, whether there is an accurate representation of the size of the alien in this movie or not, I don't know. But here in this corridor with Gallic and Rains and bogs, here
1: looks pretty damn big. Yeah. And there's something interesting too about moving us towards his point of view when he gets splattered with blood. He's the only character whose point of view we can now share because the other two have been picked off unceremoniously. But it, it, it just starts building this... This Gallic subplot that is completely gone from the from the theatrical. So when he goes running away covered in blood, we're interested in seeing what's going to happen next. And then, well, I I do want to say quickly how that how the blood
0: splattering plays out is very significant. He's he sees this guy get murdered. Blood splatters on his face like a baptism. I think that's not an accident that it's supposed to feel that way. There's a strong music cue that feels feels revelatory. He sees the face of the alien. They yeah. We cut to the face of the alien who looks at him too. Uh, it looks as though they share a moment. Yeah. And then he runs away. That's a that's called a religious epiphany. That's what we have. We have a guy who's established as being part of religious order, has crossed himself, uh, showing that he follows the religious order. You know, it's not just a game to him. He then gets baptized and sees God, right? I mean, isn't that what we're supposed to think there? I feel
1: like it is. For my money, I think the movie would have been so much more successful if they had just let him be the one religious guy, right? The one religious guy. The one religious guy, Mm. you know, and let forget about the rest of them being in in this, this nameless religious cult. You know, then you could spend time not having Dylan saying awful prayers and actually doing something.
0: Oh, so he would, Gallic would then be, oh, uh, who was it? Uh, the woman from The Mist. You know, the Stephen King story in yeah. the adaptation where she's the religious zealot in there that's going to cause them problems yeah. from the inside. Yeah, yeah, Why can't I think of who played that from uh, Miller's Crossing? Marsha Gay Harden. Thank you. I just That name just wouldn't come to mind. Anyway, so it would play like that kind of a character is what you're suggesting, though, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. I get you. Yeah, and then
1: he good. can be the one religious guy, and then they can figure things out for the other guys to do. That's just, you know. I but it's not that, so we're not talking about what it should be. We're talking about what it is. And I, I will say this, as the story then goes to Bishop being replugged in, in the extended version, we do some ping-ponging back and forth, you mm-hmm. know, with Gallic conversation that Ripley's having with Bishop, Gallick being discovered by another guy. She goes back to having more conversation with him. The guys show up and they grab Gallick. I'm back to this whole question of like, do you have to keep bouncing us in and out of this point of view? Is it more interesting just to stay with Ripley? And then when she's done with Bishop, go on back to this guy getting nabbed.
0: I don't know. I mean, you could see a cut where... Um, Gallic gets splattered with the blood and then you just cut to him. He, I guess he needs to be observed by someone right. to, to motivate them, them, them taking him by force. But why I do, I don't have any idea why they intercut it. it th- that doesn't make any sense. So stick with Ripley and Bishop and then come back to Gallic if you want to. But to me, the intercutting makes no sense. It's not motivated by anything. I, uh, there's nothing that Bishop is saying that speaks to what we see with Gallic. There's nothing that motivates the cuts to me.
1: Exactly. So it's these are unearned switches in yeah. point of view. It's
0: just, it's just breaking it up for some reason, and it doesn't work. What
1: happened on the Sulaco? Why were our cryotubes ejected? Stasis interrupted. Fire in cryogenic compartment. Repeat. Fire in cryogenic compartment. What started the fire, Bishop? Can you hear me? The fire was electrical. It was in the subflooring. Did the sensors pick up anything moving around on the ship prior to separation?
0: It's very dark
1: here, Ripley. I am not what it used to be. Just tell me. Does the recorder indicate anything? Was there an alien on board? Yes. it on the Sulaco,
0: or did it come with us in the evening? It was with us on the way.
1: We're really ahead of Ripley significantly in this conversation that she has with Bishop when she yeah. plugs him in. And it's good to see Bishop again. It is, and his and I love his jacked up left eye.
0: I think it feels so good that there's a there's a version of this movie in the back of my mind where he does not get unplugged at the end of the scene, and he's like C-3PO and Chewbacca or something. Somebody takes it upon themselves to fix him. There's a guy there, something. And we get Bishop, because there's a thing that happens at the end of the movie that I think would have worked better if we at least had Bishop for a longer, an ex- more extended period of time. I wonder movie. if that's
1: why they're doing, I don't know, I wonder if the, those cuts are supposed to give us a sense that Bishop is around longer. I don't know. I mean, I don't know That's
0: either. not, it doesn't doesn't work, do that, but, but, but maybe that's yeah, I mean, the idea. I, I like the idea of there's a mechanical guy, and he's like, oh, I'll fix you, I'll fix you, and he carries him around on his back or something. I don't know. It's. I, I'm not saying that's great, but God, I want more Bishop. I, once he enters the movie, I'm like, here we go. I can really relate to this guy, and it would raise the stakes
1: because it's, it's a character I already cared about. Anyway. Well, it is another one of those uh, possible character plot lines that gets immediately shut off yep you know which is what this what oh this and, and movie is up to
0: not just shut off nihilistically shut off by the desire to die <laughs> not, not just uh you know oh something happened to him no i don't want to be in this story i
1: do not want to be a suicidal a suicidal droid yeah they call him exactly this
0: oh jeez I'm not up
1: to my I'm not, I'll am not. i never be like I was before turn me off I don't know how good an idea that is it's not a very good idea yeah okay
0: I mean he's an android what is anyway
1: <laughs> no yeah I
0: just what it, does he care about like if he can just compute isn't that enough
1: I mean, once he gives us this information that the alien was on board the ship that comes as this great revelation to her I got a little bone to pick with that because I'm so far ahead of her well yeah I know all this stuff already you know so in. I guess it helps that it's Bishop doing it, so that makes it go down a little bit, and you get a little bit of entertainment out of it. But this is one of the problems of putting everybody so far ahead of 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 Ripley, and this question about whether or not that's actual suspense. Yes, suspense is when you know the bomb is under the chair, you know, versus the surprise of it going off. But how do the stakes go up when we're when we're so far ahead of her? We've now seen. Three characters that we don't care about killed by the alien. Right. So what? I don't know. And and again, another
0: music cue. that This time it just seems totally misplaced because when he says, yes, there's an alien on board, the music swells like it's a revelation. It's like, well, it might be a revelation to Ripley, but it's not to us at all. Like, we're way ahead of this. Why are you trying to see... Music, Music isn't to you know it's to convey something to the audience like we're why have music there if it's not conveying something to us we know this already what's it saying about ripley yeah i don't think it's saying anything about ripley either i don't know it's it's you're right it uh i mean and she also kind of knows i mean doesn't she i mean she's just getting the she's just getting the final word but
1: she knows There's acid and they found acid in the corridor where the guy got killed. And so, yeah, she's she's probably she's seen the acid once and she heard they found more. So, yeah, she's probably on this. And interestingly enough, at that point, then the the film really goes into this kind of half assed Hitchcock thing with a they won't believe me story. Right. So we've got everybody arguing over how crazy Gallic is. And and Andrew's assuming he's killed everybody that's died up to this point. Dylan not believing that he's a liar, Ripley stepping into the situation to which we, the audience, are thinking, "Oh, well, thank God she's going to come in and she's going to tell him the truth about what's going on." And of course, then they don't believe her, yeah. and so we have to then kind of crawl through sand to get through the hole. They won't believe me, and I'm trying to tell them, but they're skeptical, and oh. they don't have any weapons. And now we're fucked. And all the while, Clemens,
0: and we're even cutting to Clemens, Clemens by now has got to be like, hey, she's she might be telling the truth. I saw this, I saw that. I've been trying to get this information out of her. This has got to be it. He, at least, why wouldn't he say something? Like, uh, they won't believe him either? Or what? what's the motivation for him keeping
1: quiet here? So instead of it becoming... a a real exercise in suspense, it just becomes kind of a slog. I mean, it really takes a lot to get through this next 10 minutes or so of the movie because you've got all that business in the office with them not believing her. And then after that, back into the infirmary where she's now been confined again by Mm -hmm. order of Andrews. Right. Finally, actually quarantined. So, and not to mention that these scenes
0: like, like, they don't even play out. They're not even written in an interesting way. Like, we do. We really do. We really come into a scene where they said, "Let me see if I've got this straight." Are you kidding me? I. Uh, that is the cheapest way. <laughs> I understand. I don't want to hear her tell the story. You're right, writer. I don't want to hear her tell the story. We already know the story. We don't need him to like then lay it back down again. Why not just cut in with? That's a pretty good story, huh? Yep, it's it's a beauty. Haven't heard one like that before. It's something like that even would be better. I just find the
1: whole, um, the, whole office. the whole idea of everybody's now not got to believe her for another beat. It's it, it, I don't get anything for it. I'm so far into the picture by now. I'm I you know, I'm well I'm almost an hour into the movie or an hour plus almost. And so the movie needs to be moving forward at this point. It's just treading water. And well, that's so frustrating to me anyway i don't know maybe you know that's just that's just how i see it and anyway we get his backstory yeah finally and then damned if he doesn't get killed Yep. and I, thankfully there's a hole in the ceiling that the alien can <laughs> drop in and drop out of in fact um, very quietly very quietly that. and this again cuts off a relationship that has so far emerged as the key relationship in the in the movie. And it's not the same as Ripley and Dallas, Dallas getting killed off, and then Ripley is the, becomes the lead. This has been structured totally differently. They've had a getting to know you, then they've slept together, now they're allies, and now you get rid of him. And uh, I, I don't know. I just don't know how I feel about that. I don't like it at
0: all. In the moment I'm watching the movie, I might go, holy shit, that's fucked up. I didn't expect that that to happen. There's like an experience there where you're you when I first saw this movie, I certainly didn't expect this character to die. He seemed as though he was going to be her ally throughout the movie. Now, what happens from this is total confusion. Like I don't know where the movie really is going from here on out. Because I have it the three people that are in this room. I actually can kind of go along with. Obviously, Ripley, Clemens has has established himself as a pretty strong character relative mm-hmm. to others, and Galax theme you know thread works for me. So these three characters all work fine. But as soon as Clemens is pulled out and Galax subplot is excised, what the hell is the rest of the movie about? Like maybe you're supposed to feel just that way, don't John. die.
1: Maybe you're supposed to just feel in some kind of an emotional free fall. And so you don't know who's gonna be next. So when Dylan steps up, you're happy that that's that that's the new ally.
0: Yeah, but I'm up. not. I mean, I've never gotten that feeling. I I, I like Dil- Dylan's an okay character. It's not that I hate the character or anything. I just don't think he was ever fully fleshed out. And especially in the um, director's cut here, he becomes such a redundant character. Like he, uh, okay, not a redundant character. Repetitive actions in the character. Where he's just like, pray again, man, Jesus, stop, come on. So I don't know. This is where it gets starts to get messy for me. And you're right, I don't care about the backstory. The backstory is really tame compared to what they kind of made you think it would be. And we do get the
1: we do get the most iconic shot in the movie here. So at least there's that. Yeah, preceded by a not so iconic shot, like the shot of the alien and and Ripley face to face. Is that? Is, is really great, and it's really powerful. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, when we see the alien prior to that, we're back to this issue of scale, it seems really small, you know? Well,
0: well it's suggested to be pretty big by the bed, right? So I'm always conf- a little confused by that moment. The bed, we see underneath the bed, and it and it dips down real low. Now, we've just cut from Gallick in bed, so I'm going, did something just happen to Gallick? And then we cut back to him, and we're like, okay, it wasn't that. So there's kind of no setup shot for the bed thing, But that suggests that the thing's giant. It pushes the bed almost all the way to the floor, right? Yeah. And, but then also it's quiet enough that um, two feet away, Clemens can't hear it. Yeah. And then on top of that, you're right. When it cuts to the shot on the floor, and we get—is this our first bit of CGI
1: alien? It's—it's it's not CGI. It's, it's not. It's this the, thing's not. No, it's the puppet alien. It's. Are it's you the, sh- Yeah, I'm positive. It's the Rob Rod puppet composited in mm. to the shot. So there may be a perspective issue. So it doesn't work as well as some of the other shots. Um, maybe there'd been a way to make it look a little bit bigger with a different, a you know, different composite. I, I don't know, mm-hmm. but it definitely seems smaller than when it actually gets up next to her and oh, they're sure. face to face, because it's the Because of course at that point it's the guy in the suit, uh, you know, six foot tall human being. So yeah, it's a little tricky, and it, you got to feel like maybe, maybe they didn't need that shot, that, the, of the, it approaching her, the full shot of it approaching her. Yeah,
0: mean I have always thought this was CGI. I guess it's just the composite looks. No, there's there's very
1: few actual CGI shots in in the movie. Um, but they are using they are you know they are using it they shot it against a blue screen and then they okay, composited I it in yeah, there yeah
0: I see now. it just I mean here's the problem like when when a movie has CGI in it and you know it does the effects that look phony in a better way still look phony like i i connect them to the cgi that's just how my brains work is what i'm saying
1: but but your brain's working that way now because this movie was made before cgi i mean this movie was made the same year as terminator 2 they Mm -hmm. were both and so oh it was much talked about at the time though well yeah but well anyway
0: i mean i don't remember i can't say i remember Uh, exactly how i felt in that moment but
1: um it's not convincing that's all i that's all i thought i didn't think cgi or anything no, else no. it's just not a convincing alien show. yeah
0: i don't think you're what i'm saying though is that you give me empire strikes back and i see the Tontons. yeah it looks phony as hell but i know there's no cgi in the movie so i'm never thinking about things like that i'm just going okay that's puppeteering that's go motion stop motion whatever it may be put any of that into a movie that also has cgi in it and i'm gonna wonder all the way through. I was like, is that phony because it's CGI or is that phony because it's phony puppeteering? Like, um, see what I mean? It yeah. muddles it to me. Yeah. I sort of want you to pick one or the other and just stick with it. I, this is all this personal stuff. It's not a, a criticism necessarily. It's just how my brain uh, processes effects. I, I I want my effects to be phony in one way.
1: <laughs> this is what I'm saying. Okay. okay. <laughs> um, so when, when the thing goes back into the hole and we get, Gallic's reaction as magnificent for me that's that's a that's actually a chilling moment because Mm -hmm. I feel like that raised the stakes more than Clemens getting killed you know Clemens doesn't getting killed didn't raise the stakes at all because he's just dead now you know and yeah I guess it means her ally is lost but I don't know how it really raises the stakes of the movie Uh, except I guess that anybody could die well
0: Well, there's that okay so If Clemens is the other character we care about the most, um, the stakes are kind of hanging on him to a certain extent, right? Of course, they're hanging on Ripley the most, but stakes are hanging on a character that we care about. We don't want Clemens to die because we like him. If you discard him completely, and while doing that, also show that the alien may or may not be interested in killing Ripley, which does another kind of undercutting of stakes, Right are they transferring the stakes to another guy like uh, basically you're saying okay now we have a guy who takes an odd pleasure in having seen this massacre of clemens oh that guy's dangerous then something that's going to be is that what you mean by raising the stakes with Cle- with no i
1: just mean like i i mean that him saying magnificent says to me that he's going to do something yeah. pro alien that's going to make the situation worse and that raises the stakes to me because right. it's going to get worse the the you're, you're right the alien not killing her creates a mystery right but doesn't raise the stakes it just makes me intellectually go huh what's the deal with that and if you know and if if I've if I'm in a space where I'm going to hasten a guess I mean there's not many guesses as to why it's not going to kill her uh, right. and she's already coughed once. So. She, she just coughed. So, well, so I don't know. Uh, it's it's definitely possible.
0: I guess what I'm, yeah, I, I guess we're in agree- We're saying the same thing in two different ways. I, th- I think that yes, it is a mystery, but it, it undercuts the stakes because up until now, in every alien movie we've seen, if that alien is in proximity with Ripley, it's going to kill her. We we're like, okay, if if it gets its chance, it's going to kill her. It finally gets its perfect chance and doesn't do it, so that's going to take those stakes and go, by making them a mystery, it kind of undercuts them. It makes them a little bit, I'm not saying weaker. It's interesting. Mm-hmm. It's just the no, you're like, right. that one thing that we've always depended on as being a major stake is not there anymore. Oh, right. uh, why? Clemens dying is like, well, we didn't want him to die, but now he's dead. So now you're right. The stakes then transfer to another character where it's like, well, what is this guy going to do now? You seem to be telling me in this one, two, three, Shot of of points mm-hmm. plot points that uh, that you're telling me this guy is going to raise the stakes again, making it make no sense at all to cut him out. of the Right now it's like well, what the now what are the stakes? Yeah, These exactly. Bald guys might die. Yeah, I don't care. I don't
1: care. I don't care. And in I the wish I did um, in the theatrical they do a little interesting fancy footwork with um, her running and the rumor control speech starting and her running and then getting there and saying there's a problem. Yeah. Uh, it's a little different in the, in the extended version because we get another prayer, another, uh, prayer. another prayer from Dylan. And then we start the rumor control speech. Uh, the good news about the rumor control speech is that it creates a kind of symmetry with the beginning of the, of the act, which I like. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's just too bad that what Dylan has to argue for is, I mean, he makes a big he makes a big rah-rah speech, one of several. He either prays or makes makes rah-rah speeches. We got to stand together, mm-hmm. one or the other. Of course, in between the two, he he will say, "I'm not a leader. I don't <laughs> I don't want this job," oh, yeah. which we'll get there. Um, but yeah, so it's interesting too that as uh, Andrews makes his series of wrong assumption speech. You know, we know he's wrong. And so we're just kind of watching going, oh, yeah, he's wrong again. Is anybody going to correct him? We don't even have a character in the scene to be the nobody believes me person. So it's a little it's a little not supercharged, you know, with his speech. It's like, yeah, he's got it all wrong. Okay, he's had it all wrong for the last 10 minutes. What's going to happen now? So it is with um, great anticipation and and great welcome that Ripley runs into the room and says it's here. Right. Uh, and that's, that's pretty good. The bad news is, or the weird news is, is then that very next instant Andrews gets got. Yeah.
0: Why him? He's being punished for being wrong.
1: Okay. That's the only thing I can think of. So we get to, we get a little poetic justice there and kind of enjoy, kind of enjoy the fact that he got killed. Yeah, so it's it's like in Aliens when they when they get Burke, right? I guess I certainly don't hate
0: Andrews nearly as much as I hated Burke, right? I mean, Andrews kind of he's kind of a benign character. It's not like I hate him. He's just stupid. He's just got a job, and he's not that. Yeah, I mean, is there a version of this movie where he does sort of believe her, but he can't just jump to conclusions either? Like isn't there something between? Or the company says. Like, that let me most, check with most, the company. Most, on most this, important or... is that
1: the company says we're supposed to take care of you, and that's all I care about. Possibly anything. You know what Dylan does after Andrews gets killed? He prays. He prays again. <sighs> and as everybody, so he gives a little prayer, and everybody argues about what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Nobody wants to listen to Aaron. They look to Ripley for help. Uh, only after Dylan has said, "You know, because I can't lead this group." And that's kind of it. It makes no sense.
0: That's at all. all he's been doing up to this point. He he bosses every everyone around, including the boss. He tells the boss he, he he has clearly not uh, uh, subjugated to anyone in this movie. And then when somebody says, "You know what, Dylan? Why don't you take charge?" Goes, oh, not me. I'm not the officer type. He says, "What? What? You've been telling nothing, doing nothing but bossing everyone around." It makes. I just take care of my own, he says, too. What else? Who else is there? Yeah, that's true. Other than Ripley. I guess Ripley and Aaron are not his own. But what is that? And what does that say about his character? I don't... To me, that's all just a mess. There's no reason for that
1: moment. I don't know if there's any reason for this scene. Without Golic, you really don't have anything to drive this besides, okay, we're going to have to come up with a plan to kill the alien. And that's that's fine. That's cool. We've seen that in, in lots of movies. So that's essentially where the story goes at this point. We're now going to figure out a way, thanks to Ripley, we're going to figure out a way to chase it with fire, move it through the air ducts, find a place to to drop it into. Now, we don't have video control monitors, and we don't have, there's all sorts of stuff we don't have technologically, but we're going to figure out a way to make this work.
0: So it could it, it could. This could have become something primal, like which could be good. I mean, it could just be about survival. Guess what? We, we got you kind of thinking there was going to be these other plots that were going to be important. And we cut them all off. And we actually, it turns out this is just a survival movie, period. But you got to care about everyone involved, right? Like, you really got to care about the survival of these characters. And obviously, Ripley, we care about that's built in. But otherwise, I'm just not sure. And and you know what? Again, it's not going to kill her. We we we've just seen it not going to kill her. So the one character that we care about the most surviving probably would anyway, until at least until we find out the next bit of information.
1: Here's a really interesting turn that that I want to mention. That when you know he says it's your fault. When more more says to Ripley, it's your fault. Why I to just shove your fucking head into the wall? And she's kind of like, yeah, go ahead. Um, it reminds me, there was a, a script that I worked on uh, called The Last Voyage of the Demeter that has never been made. And uh, and it started out in the early draft that I didn't drive the draft that we read when we were hired to work on it. Um, it was kind of an alien ripoff. It was a vampire loose on the ship. Um, and in subsequent draft, there was a female character and at some point, the men realized that the vampire was, wanted her. And they said, well, hell, let's just give her to him. you know. And it raised the stakes because she didn't have anybody that she could trust. And that, that would seem like this would be, if you're going to go down the road that these, they just went down here with this, uh, she brought it here. It's all her fault. Well, then wouldn't it make sense to have everybody turn on her at that point? Yeah. Maybe they try to kill her. Like at least that would raise the stakes and that would create something a hell of a lot more interesting than let's rape her. You know what I mean? Yeah. It would be motivated by, by the story. So I don't know. I, I'm, I find that a lot of this back-and-forth business uh, dialogue in this scene doesn't really lead us anywhere until she finally says, okay, we're going to use the vents and we're going to track it down, um, which brings us to the idea of planning this thing's demise and this is where, God, I wish I had a tracking device. God, I wish I had a monitor. God, I wish I had some really fancy special effects shot that took a God's eye view and showed me exactly how this place was laid out so I'd have mm. some sense of what they're, what they're trying to do in terms of the geography of the going right. after the monster.
0: I just want to say real quick that going back to what you just said about them giving her to the alien... I guess I'm gonna do this a lot. Is there a version of this movie where they do so they have this religious order and this um surface level like built in moral code, I guess from that. But deep down they're brutal criminals, right? They're brutal murderers. What if this causes them to revert? They say, Well what what the fuck do we care? Throw her in with the alien. Yeah. And that's yeah. when yeah. we find out that the alien doesn't want her. You we think that is Oh shit! Of course, the alien wants nothing more than to kill Ripley in our minds because we've been watching it go after her for two movies. Yeah, throw her to the alien. They do, and you're like, oh my god, what's going to happen now? This is a pretty nihilistic movie. They killed Hicks and Newt. Holy shit! Is this movie actually going to kill Ripley? You know, at least in your mind for a minute, and then that then we get our iconic moment, and then we find it. Then she comes walking back to them, saying. I don't know what I don't actually know what it'd go from there, but isn't there a version of it where that and it says something about them, and it then we get the reveal of it not yes. wanting her,
1: and then the stakes change there. Anyway, yeah, I think that that's a really really good point. Yes, definitely. All right. that would have been far more far more interesting. I think. At any rate, that's not what happens, and so we're gonna we're gonna try to chase this thing down and trap it in this room, and so we eventually get to. A montage, a preparation montage, right. that has two beats in it that are worth noting. One that's in the theatrical and one that isn't. Uh, these two guys that are uh, looking for batteries. The search for two guys that we've never met before, right? One of them's I, French, I think. I think. And they're searching for batteries, and they say they they inform us that uh, very few of the batteries work. Answering your question, where is where? Why didn't these these guys have why do these guys not have flashlights? But they do have a few flashlights, so we do come up with a few flashlights just extra now. They have them, yeah. And then uh, poor Ripley, while they're treating everything with flammable material, has a uh, she doesn't cough this time, but she feels terrible. In fact, Dylan says you look awful.
0: Reminds you a little bit of morning sickness, perhaps. Yes, exactly. It's a little
1: queasy. Exactly. Inexplicably nauseous, perhaps. So you've got that foreshadowing, and then we're back into the rest of the preparations. And they do give us this kind of map, you know, um, (laughs) but you can't really read it. As obscured as possible. Yeah, (laughs) so that still doesn't help me with geography. So I'm kind of going to have to take everything at faith. And that's okay, but I don't think it's as interesting in terms of generating suspense as if I have some sense of, of the geography. Of course, this is going to eventually bring us up to one of the big, the other big divergences in terms of of the plot, but that doesn't happen yet, right? The fire comes first.
0: Fire comes first, and I think I actually like this. This is one of the things I like. You get this sort of run of the mill uh, montage, preparation montage. It could have gone without any dialogue. Even it could have been like you know, just like yeah, right, uh, military music in the background and all this, and and we've seen uh, a kind of setup plan put into action in aliens previously right so we get the guns all set up well that's in the director's cut too now that i think about it but um they're it kind, kind of goes on longer and yeah and they're they have a plan and we see it come to fruition and then the wrinkle is that they're actually above them and come down through the ceiling in this case it, it's like we think we're entering a full-on sequence here that we're going to have like a bit of a chaser battle with the alien and it gets completely changed right in the middle with by this sudden accidental fire, and I think that's kind of interesting. It made me feel as though, yeah, I thought we were going into something more in depth—not uh, so much in depth, but lengthier. I guess is really my, what it might come down to. I thought we were going to get a full, normal-length sequence, and they cut it off. And this is one of the places where maybe an avenue was cut off to take a better road.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think that's really one of the wonderful surprises of the movie is how badly it goes this yeah. fire thing is just and it's really spectacular and it's beautifully beautifully filmed and all that stuff so that's oh a, yeah, that's love... a really exciting moment prior to that happening i guess we might want to mention though that the 85 business we, we finally get the the explanation for why people are calling aaron 85 and why he is so adamant about not being called 85
0: yeah and we're told that's his iq Um, This is one of those things where, you know, just to go, let's go a little bit of background on this one. Um, Apparently, you know, the idea of of Aaron's character was he was supposed to be a bit more of a kind of under the radar hero. Like he was supposed to actually come out the other end of the movie and walk off instead of it being Morse that walks off at the end of the movie. And he wasn't supposed to be a complete idiot. And Hill and Guiler kept throwing pages in, making him stupider and stupider and stupider. Well, Ralph Brown didn't appreciate this. Um, this is all from Ralph Brown's blog post about this, um, his time on Alien 3. He went to Fincher. Fincher said, well, let's set up a meeting with Walter Hill. You can talk to him. He's staying in a hotel. He goes to talks to Hill. Hill talks around it. Fincher doesn't like it that he's getting stupider. Hill and Geiler want him to be stupider. There's a back-and-forth argument of ideas, and Hill and Geiler just cut it off by saying, We'll just call him 85 because that's his IQ. Now you can't argue that he's stupid. He's stupid by name. And that's going to end the argument. And this is one of kind of one of those dickhead moves, I think. I think that's a dickhead move. <laughs> I think that's like saying, it, yeah. oh, yeah, well, you think you can make any kind of creative decisions, Mr. Director? You think the actor should have any input? We'll just name him something that tells the audience he's stupid and there's no way around it. And uh, that's where 85 comes from, as from what I've heard. So that's where we get the name. It's such a weird choice. Like We insist this made me stupid. uh, That's pretty bad. Yeah. That's pretty awful. The Fire, you said, is shot very beautiful. I want to say, this is definitely where we see Fincher's strong suit at this point in his career, right? He's transitioning from a very successful commercial and and music video career. And maybe narrative wasn't a strength yet for him on working on this film. But, boy, visually, this fire sequence is amazing. The different lenses they use the f- the lens flares are fun. I don't know. I just think it's a beautifully shot moment uh, in the movie. I just want just want to throw some positives towards David Fincher. You know, we know he's a he's a master filmmaker now,
1: and the aftermath is really haunting as well. yeah, I, th- I think you know the cleaning up and finding the bodies and haunting music is all, I think really, really impressive.
0: Once the fire, the fire's not totally out or anything, but basically once the explosion part of the sequence finishes, we get a moment, I guess of character, you know, we get a little reversal of a character here. We have a Holt McElraney's character whose name I cannot remember. I can't remember the character's name, but this is our rapist, our guy with the goggles earlier that attempted to rape Ripley, Um, still wearing a bandage on his head from Dylan's beating sacrifices himself to trap the alien he he gets to the door he draws the alien out and forces it to chase him in and they're able to trap it
1: so that's a huge difference between the theatrical which is just the fire everything goes wrong and then they clean up the mess to in the middle of all of this craziness we have a major plot shift yeah um, the introduction of the fact that they actually are able to capture the alien right yep
0: I think this is a great moment in the movie, and wow. one that frustrates me in, in watching interviews and things, and, and the decision to cut this from the movie um, by by producer John Landau, and his excuse being, "Well, if you trap the alien, it really cuts the menace. Like it really makes it seem less menacing, doesn't? It? No, it doesn't. I don't understand that." Because if at you all. trap the alien, it's going to get out, right? I mean, it's, we know it's going to get out. A trapped beast is dangerous. I've seen 100 movies where the villain gets put in prison at some point in the movie. <laughs> it's not as if putting them in a cage makes them less dangerous. Isn't it more that the other way around? I don't know.
1: Uh, it's a really surprising it was, turn. It's just as surprising as the fire doesn't work, the fire plan is a fuck up and doesn't work, and yet they managed to tramp the alien, which is not something we expected was going to happen. So I would argue that this is a pretty exciting and surprising little section of the movie. I think they could have maybe
0: earned the character moment a little bit more, but it still works. I mean, he basically is trapped anyway. So in that moment he realizes, well, I could do, I could do a good turn here and says, come on, come after me and chases it into the room. Um, maybe would have been more satisfying if it were like a you know, like Vasquez. If you get what I mean in aliens, when she sacrifices herself at that moment, it's like, well, here's a character I love and she's, she's trapped too, but she's going to take this thing out with her In this case it could have been a character i cared about more than the guy who tried to rape ripley and then basically only saw in background shots between but still i think it's i think it works really well i think it's one of the things besides gallic that elevates the fincher director's cut
1: version from the theatrical version after they capture the alien and there have been lots of people that have died what does dylan do praise i mean it's okay i guess you know, yes, it's, i guess that's what he does it's what he does you get a nice moment between aaron and ripley in the aftermath of this ripley kind of starts to outthink him because mm-hmm. he definitely thinks that the company is going to come and they're going to come in with smart guns and they're just going to wipe the alien out well
0: there's a, he has no reason to think otherwise though. right not yet like she, he's not the cynic that um ripley is and has such a good reason to be like his experience with the company is he got hired by them and he gets paid by them. You know, I don't know. If but
1: we are smarter than him and yes. Ripley smarter than him because we know how the company feels about the alien. Yes. And as soon as somebody says, uh, oh, we're, we're going to, they're going to come in and kill the alien, right? We know that that's probably not, no not going to happen.
0: This, I mean, we all know that the alien, the xenomorph is the most important thing to the bio, the
1: bioweapons division of Whalen. Utah. It's the only thing they care about for decades, you know. And then we get another scene uh, that, that is not existing, obviously, in the theatrical cut, which is between Morse and and uh, Gallick. Morse is supposed to be guarding Gallick in the infirmary. And okay. Gallick talks him into letting him go.
0: Well, he, yeah, he talks him into freeing him from the bed. And then Gallick takes it upon himself to knock him out. I'm interested. I don't know. Yeah, no, Gallic has something he wants. I'm interested in seeing where he's going to take it. And right now, we're in a position of uh, our characters are kind of at an advantage, at least in that they've got the alien trapped. They're not in immediate danger right now. So we need something to create the immediate danger. Gallic's the man. And and that harkens back to that moment where he says, Magnificent, and we wonder, oh, what's he going to do? He's clearly going to do something that's going to screw things up. Now, we had the, the previous scene with, uh, with Aaron and Ripley talking on the ledge there, and then we get another scene of them in the office, and I kind of wonder why the two scenes didn't kind of just play the same. Why, was it, why wasn't Why was it the same scene, I guess? Why not have them just in this office, have that conversation before, and then move right into message? But, you know, it's not a terrible choice or anything. It just makes you wonder why you have two scenes so close together.
1: What's the point of the scene in the office?
0: They're going to...
1: What kind of message are they going to send to the company? So while they're doing that, we've got a problem. Because Gallick goes to the place where they're storing the alien, kills the guard. Brutally and shockingly murders a brother,
0: right? Supposedly in the, in his religious order. Right. Immediately apologizes for it. All this to me works. This is all batshit scary crazy man behavior that's legitimately works, I think. I mean, uh, it's it's terrifying, and he's willing to do this. How crazy is this guy? He's willing to let the alien free. What else
1: is going to come from this? Was there to some controversy about whether or not you were going to show the alien once Gallick opened the doors? Whether he opens the door and they kind of, yeah. It pushes into the door and it just goes to darkness, right? Which I always thought was really... And then he's, you know, then you were kind of not alien point of view, but then we're kind of looking at him from with within that's the the container, you know, and he's, he's asking it to tell him what to do, which I, I, I think it. is really cool. It's like, I love it. Dracula. It's great. like Renfield and Dracula or something. You yeah. Know?
0: This is, cl- this is good old fashioned monster movie shit. I like it.
1: But then they show the alien, right? Yeah. So that was maybe, they that was the, I think the that door. was the controversy. Do you show the alien run out the door, right? Or do you just go in on his face and darkness? I think that's a better choice. I think it's a better choice too. Well. Because again, it seems like anytime you show the alien from a high angle, running away from camera, it doesn't make it look more menacing. It makes it look less menacing. And even though we know it's menacing and we've seen it kill people, somehow reducing it in scale like that doesn't, feel emotionally very satisfying no
0: we don't need to see it run away to know it's going to be on the loose I mean I think maybe that's what they feared was that well will people know when we cut to the next scene will people know that the alien is now on the loose or will they just think it's uh,
1: I mean uh, clearly it is there's a scene that then is in the again in the extended version where Ripley goes and talks to Dylan uh, and I find this scene to be completely superfluous I don't think you get anything for this scene. Oh, you're telling me to come in to take this thing away? Yeah, they're gonna try. They don't want to kill it. We gotta figure out a way to do it before they come here. Why do we have to kill it? You just said the company's coming for it. That's right. They want to take it back. Some sort of weapon. Yeah, what's wrong with that? They can't control it. They don't understand. It'll kill them all. Like I said, what's wrong with that? Well, nothing's wrong with that. Except a lot of innocent people will die. I thought you were a religious man. You don't understand, do you? That world out there doesn't exist for us anymore. We've got our own little world out here. It ain't much, but it's ours. So fuck everybody else. No. Fuck them.
0: So the scene with Dylan and and, and Ripley is sort of the scene that I suggested a couple episodes ago about him confessing to her. It, it isn't exactly what I suggested, but this is where he could have confessed to her what the true nature of this religion was.
1: Oh, right. Did I just do it to keep everybody in line. I just do it to keep everybody... It's not yeah. actually about God. It's not actually about... That would make him a bigger character and that would definitely expand the theme and, yes, that would have been a good move.
0: And the one thing that it does do, as it is in the movie, is it does, for the first time, make him seem like an actual human being and not just a platitudinal pastor or priest where everything he said up to now has always been like elevated now he's sitting down he's spitting in a cup he's kind of confessing and i like that i just wish it would have it was stronger there was a stronger tie to the theme of the movie uh that would have been the spot to make it tie all into the religious undercurrent of the film
1: and it's interrupted then by somebody coming to say, uh-oh, we got a problem, and it's the word, they get, they receive the news that uh, Gallic has let the alien out. Mm-hmm. And they go back to that open doors, and um, I assume find dead Gallic, right? Mm-hmm. We don't see him, but no. they find him. Everybody starts arguing with each other, and while everybody's arguing with each other about what are we going to do next, Ripley looks like she's in increased pain, and she just fucking leaves. Well, she does mention she just needs to use the the scanner, right?
0: So here we are. She knew about the scanner. Oh, uh, the autopsy. Oh, right. The autopsy just doesn't make sense to me.
1: Well, hopefully you didn't think about that until the movie was over, and then you're like, oh, they had a scanner all along. I guess it's okay that they cut open a small child. As long as you don't think yeah. about it right now, you're good. You're probably all right, but I wonder... But this turns into a movie where a lot of people are yelling at each other, you know, mm-hmm. get your shit together, stop acting like a main, an idiot, blah, 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 blah. And I feel like we're so far past that, yeah. that it's not very interesting to me. On the other hand, Ripley going to the scanner is interesting. Yes. And and so she's doing something, it's proactive, and she's actually joined there by uh, Aaron, who seems to, uh, you know, for a for an 85 IQ guy he's he's pretty smart you know he seems to be yeah he he seems to be intuitive and wants to help and and so we do get this really cool scan scene where we see the alien inside of her
0: yeah this is great and the, and this is one of those moments that i think comes at the right point in the film i think this is this is the right time for this to happen in the movie where some things could have gotten shuffled around a little bit this raises the stakes at the right time i think Cause right now we're kind of right back where we were right the aliens on the loose again okay are we really gonna have a movie about that again no we got to raise the stakes in another way and we're raising them for the person that actually matters
1: this sequence from the time that uh Gullick says magnificent until we get to the end of this sequence is to me like that's this is where the most changes happen between the original the theatrical version and the and the, and the extended version yeah and the two versions become less different for yeah, the, for the third, as we get into the, reach the third act, we're we're still not quite there yet. But, um, but yeah, the scanning thing is really cool, and the and it's it's pretty convincing. Do you think that ship shot is the last scene of the, of the?
0: It's one of those.
1: It's a transitional.
0: shot. I always think of those as that. Uh, uh, who was it, Eisenstein, that said there was always a little, your act break should have little digressive buffers. Like there should just be a moment where everybody goes, and that's that that. So I'd never think of him as necessarily being in. Yeah. Alright, so we get Dylan taking charge. <laughs> as he said he didn't want to, but here he is, axe in hand too, in this scene. So we're we're now introducing weapons. Uh that's kind of an interesting turn when you th- when you think about it up to this point their their plan was to use available equipment, and burn the thing and trap it or whatever it may be. Um, Now they're actually grabbing things. I guess they had an axe. But
1: here's my question. Does this top Ripley discovering that she's got the alien inside of her? No, not at all. A bunch of guys arguing again. Like, I, I just, like, this scene seems completely superfluous to me. I don't know what you get out of this scene at all. Even if this dialogue
0: takes us anywhere, why didn't it come at the end of the last scene with these guys? Why didn't it come before Ripley? See what I mean? They were arguing just a second ago, like right. the scene before. Why not have them finish the argument here or there, and then go to Ripley? Uh, to me, that makes a hell of a lot more sense because then the next scene after, or this just one, cut it out, or just cut it out. Because, <laughs> like, like, I'm giving that the benefit that
1: somehow this does <laughs> help the movie. Um, because he has like two or three different rally the troop kind of moments, you know. Uh, dylan does Mm -hmm. and it's like you go from him saying he doesn't want to be in charge to then these moments where he kind of takes charge and i I really don't want to see him take charge (laughs) i want to see ripley take charge you know
0: so the one thing i guess the bit of information we do get from the scene is has to do with how they're they think they're going to kill it right so they're kind of figure out how they're going to kill it because they know they can't actually chop it with an axe right and They trapped it once. If they can trap it in a situation where it'll die, of course, why don't these guys think the company is going to kill it? Like, why are... It's okay. I mean, it's okay to ask these questions, I think, even if somebody listening right now thinks, well, what what do you mean?
1: I shouldn't have to ask these questions. This all should be clear to me. I don't need that scene. I really don't. I'm quite happy going straight from Ripley realizing she's got that thing inside of her to her and Brown over the computer trying to you know send the send the word out you know to yeah. warn off the company she you know cuz she says um she wants to warn off the company she wants to go find it and kill it in the right
0: yeah so why not have this you know that what you're talking about be the end of the other scene too why do we keep cutting from one place to another to have the same characters have conversation that could go i mean this is the result of what they just discovered why cut to a scene in, in the office I would even like it if she had she had the conversation with 85 and then he went to the office by himself that that would be one moment where I would be okay with breaking point of view because then he he this the capper for this the office scene is him is up to his choice anyway right it's right. whether he sends the transmission or not right or, yeah. r- or replies so that would have been a good moment to break point of view to him and then leave the mystery of did he or didn't he and I don't know. It's like the, the this thing's cut into separate scenes multiple times for no reason. Where the, it could have been a more efficient movie. It could have been the length Twentieth Century Fox wanted it to be, maybe, and still had all the stuff that they wanted in the movie. Like it could there could have been a middle ground with Fincher if he, if maybe in, they would have taken lots of scenes and consolidated them. And
1: you can only assume that it's a rush job. That yeah. at the end of the day, as they're trying to fix these problems. They're also under the pressure of knowing the movie's going to come out soon. They have a release date that they have to make. And maybe they don't make the kind of choices that they would have made if they'd had another six months to think about what's the very best version of this movie we can cut together. Yeah. I mean, it's got to be some of that.
0: Yeah. The inability to make good choices
1: at times because of the circumstances that were given. I also think just fundamentally they made a huge problem by not just making it Ripley centric. Yep. Saying it's her story, it needs to be her point of view. If she's not in the scene, it better be there to truly raise the stakes and make it much more suspenseful, uh, and and make us want to know what's going to happen. You don't need scenes with Charles Dutton with an axe over his shoulder telling all the men that they got to fight. I mean, that's just without her in the scene. I it just does not have any resonance to me. Right. You know, it's and and I don't find the ensemble of characters rich enough for me to care about any of them. And it's terrible to say that, And but but it's just kind of... For me, it's such a swing and a miss when it comes to the characters that are designed to be in this story. But now, what happens in the office scene
0: between Ripley and Aaron, I think does work on that level, the, the Ripley-centric level. We learn... Now, I'm not 100% sure why... how she knows that she's carrying the new queen. Is it because the queen was the one that was attached to um, the ship at the end of Aliens, the one that tore Bishop apart. That was the queen, in fact. So she's just assuming, I'm carrying the new queen, because she says that very
1: specifically. Yeah, maybe when she looks at the the scan of the creature, she sees that it's different than the other chestbursters that she's seen in the past. Maybe. I don't know. Either way.
0: So now she fully acknowledges, she understands completely why it won't kill her. So that changes her approach to everything that happens going forward. And then the other thing we learn is that the company got that information, which I think is kind of interesting. Yeah. So
1: using strictly- Any Simply using
0: that, med, that medical scanner immediately gave them the data, like the, like they're in the same network or whatever. So.
1: And did they hear the conversation with Bishop, too? Maybe. It's like it automatically has a transponder on it or something, like the black boxes in a-
0: Now, that's something they could have touched on earlier in the movie and would have heightened the paranoia of the movie. Right. Everything we're saying could be heard. Who knows what, you know, they know, and I don't know, I, I, that's a totally different movie because I'm not exactly sure how that would play into the events of this particular movie. But that's something, I, I'm just always looking for things that kind of heighten the suspense, paranoia, fear of this, you know, made this more of a horror movie, uh, of more of a thriller, something just more entertaining to watch.
1: But I do like that idea that the company knows all, and that's been a pretty, mm-hmm. you know, that's been a, a theme that's run through all of the movies, so... I don't have. It's not a hard sell for me to believe that. No, if you switch something on electronic, no matter what it is, Weyland Yutani is going to be on it.
0: So, in you know, in in Alien, Weyland Yutani, the company knows all because of Ash. And in Aliens, they kind of just know. I think they know all already, right? They they kind of understand the situation. They just don't inform our Marines or or Ripley. And then Burke knows, he's the one that has
1: the information as far as people on site. And who knows how much they know because of Bishop. Like, and, and so, who, so much time has passed too. that it's quite possible that if you have a Weyland-Yutani synthetic, it's constantly transmitting information back to the company. Right. Like, you know, like your Like, like your no choice does. of its own. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. it's,
0: it's B- Bishop's a great guy but deep down he's actually
1: a traitor he's, by no choice of his yeah, own yeah exactly he's still designed to be See, an asset of the company
0: but you know until until that uh, that information pops up on the screen that they got the data from the neuroscan or whatever we don't even really think about that through the movie right the yeah. only the only time we're thinking about the company is when ripley tells them straight out uh they're not going to want to kill it so uh, it, it doesn't really do much for your experience of watching
1: the movie but the the but the button to that scene, right, is the screen saying... Awaiting uh,
0: acknowledgement or something. And right? So, right. What is Aaron going to do? He's the guy. He's the company man. Is he going to be on their side or her side when... And I think, again, that was something that was supposed to be a stronger idea originally with this character was whether he... Allies with her because he kind of D- Dylan and he are both kind of could be the, her allies after Clemens is gone, right? And you assume it's not going to be Aaron, but maybe it will be. Uh, he is, he's going to make some choices. The going company forward, wants so. him to
1: quarantine Ripley, right? Yeah. Again. Again. Right. So we end the act with with that question and with the the first shot of the ship headed towards the planet. The very sulaco like. Ship, yeah. And that kind of ends the act, and we're headed for the conclusion. One way or another. uh, If you're on the extended version, we're an hour and 42 minutes into, what, a two and a half hour movie? Yeah,
0: we got about 40 minutes left. So we got a
1: long third act ahead of us in the extended version. And I can't remember where the time signature is. I'll give that to you at the beginning of the next episode um, to just kind of check that against how long is our, third act in the theatrical version yeah as if any of that matters but it's always well, it's, interesting yeah it's nice to know uh, so that's pretty much it for this episode of uh rumor control please check into the facebook page let us know what you think you can find
0: us on twitter too uh if you want to it, your comments are, are welcome at any one of the places that you can reach out to us online so facebook page twitter at alien minute
1: pod and uh and in the future, we're going to do movies that we like more.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> like we will, we will be giving the same treatment to movies that we enjoy more. <laughs> so it won't come off so much as a. Um, yeah, I mean, I feel, you know, I feel a little bit bad. I'm trying to keep positive about this, but everybody knows that this is a flawed film, and if you like it, again. More power to you. I'm glad that you enjoy it. I'm certainly not here to argue against people's enjoyment of this film, but we find a lot of problems with it. And I guess we're going going down them like one at a time. That's why it took so That's why it took so long
1: to do this show. Yeah, because we kind of didn't really want to do this. We
0: we didn't necessarily want to, but then we thought, eh, there's something to be said about. I think there's a lot of good conversation to be had about bad choices, and we talk about movies that we love because they had all these great choices in the making of the films and in this case this is like a missed opportunity we feel like they made some bad choices and it could have been a better film i don't know i think it's worth having a conversation about that too so thank you for bearing with us during (laughs) this period if uh yeah i don't know all right we'll see you next time see you next time